Jim, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, one reason it was so significant for me to have this conversation, it goes without saying, uh, Sparta has been one of my favorite bands since 2003. So well, thank it's really you so cool much. for me. Yeah, of course, it's my pleasure. So, Jim, just to get started, I want to go back to the beginning. Could you just walk us through your early days in music, your earliest days, and basically what just inspired you to take up the guitar and start a band in the first place? Uh, for sure. So it's it's actually pretty weird because last night I saw the Breeders play, and it, it I had not thought about it in a long time, but I started playing bass when I was 12, and the Pixies record Doolittle is the first record that I ever learned. So to go last night and watch, you know, Kim Deal playing, uh, and then she played a, a Pixies song at the end of the set, and I thought, oh man, this is such a weird life moment. Um, to be able to see these people and now have this career where I get to interact with these people that were so important to me as a kid. Um, so pretty much started there when I was 12. Um, you know, the, the story goes that I was at a, uh, I went to, I lived in Albuquerque for a couple of years while my mom went to school there. And every nine weeks you have to change, uh, like a, like, what do you call it? Like, uh, elective. So there's like nine weeks of woodworking, nine weeks of like home ec, nine work, whatever. Uh, and one of them is music. And I was absent the day that everybody got to pick their instruments. And the only thing that was left was the electric bass because we were little kids, you know, we're like 11, 12 years old and the bass is huge. Um, but I kind of just, so I ended up, that was my given instrument and it just sort of um, became like a lifelong love pretty much there. So I played bass for a while, and then when I was 16, I sort of fibbed my way into a band and said that I played guitar, even though I didn't really play guitar, um, and that I sang, even though I didn't really sing, and, and I sort of faked it till I made it, um, and that's that's kind of when I switched to guitar, and then the following year, I did that for about a year and a half um, in high school, and then when I graduated from high school, one of those guys did not want to tour, and that's kind of all I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't want to go to school, I just wanted to tour, so... Um, I started at the drive-in when I was 17 and, um, you know, the rest is, is history. Yes. Okay. So backing up for a second, you grew up in El Paso or were uh -huh. you born in El Paso? How well, would you so, say that? Inf yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. Born and raised here just a couple of years in Albuquerque while my mom went to school, but, um, my family's been here for like four or five generations. Um, and I think that our community and sort of our, um, I don't know what the right word is exactly, mentality is sort of in mm -hmm. your blood at this point. And I think that all of that influenced the way that I live and therefore influenced the way that I play music and the way that I run these businesses that involve music. It's a really humble town. Um, it's a hardworking town. Uh, and there's not a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of big opportunities here, but it's just filled with good people. And it's kind of yeah, sort of the thing that's been most important to me is to surround myself with, with good people when I can and, and get away from bad people when I have to. But, you know, just community. It's a very, uh, it's a very Latin-based, family-oriented community um, filled with a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. Well, it sounds excellent. I mean, I can relate. I grew up in a small town, kind of escalated to larger cities. And then I spent a lot of time in Latin America. 
Um, so I, I definitely relate to that in many, many ways. Um, that's very fascinating to me. So describe to me, if you will, kind of paint a picture of the scene, you as a teenager, right kind of on the precipice of maybe starting these bands. What was it like going to shows, you know, maybe watching your friends play and, and doing that for the first time? So I definitely, you know, at 12, 13, definitely got very into punk rock and sort of launched myself into that community and that um, surrounded myself again with, with those people and went to punk shows and backyard shows. We have a lot of backyard shows in this town. Sort of mm -hmm. venues here kind of come and go pretty rapidly, like small places, especially back in the day. Um, I would go to anything and everything that I could. So my parents lived a couple of blocks from, from a club. I was allowed to stay out till 10 o'clock. So I, I almost only saw local bands because I, I rarely got to stay late enough to see, you know, the national touring bands. Mm -hmm. So I was, those were my heroes, those guys, some of them went to my high school and I just thought they were the coolest guys in the world. And they had the, the, you know, the, the coolest bands and, and, um, I loved it, you know? And when those guys started touring, that's, that's to me, all I wanted to do. I just looked up to them. And when, when I was old enough to start staying for the touring bands, I would actually go early <clears throat> to the show, like around sound check and just kind of walk in and hang out and just ask like a thousand questions because I, I found it so interesting and um, I just wanted to know everything I could. And, and a lot of those bands were super cool to me and gave me the time and answered all my questions. And I always made a point in my career of, of trying to do the same thing. Uh, when people are hanging out, asking questions, they just want to understand what it is. Like there's no bad question, right? There's no stupid question. Of course. I, just, I get when people love this and they just want to know everything that they can about it. And people were kind enough to me. So I hope that I've been that way for a few people as well. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you have the knowledge that extends so many years within this scene. And that's why I especially knew it would be so fascinating to talk to you. So I suppose my next question is, what was that one band for you, for Jim, that was so pivotal where you were like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. Or perhaps you saw maybe just one of your favorite childhood bands growing up, whether it be local or otherwise. Yeah. So there's a couple, I was definitely like within, so the first, the first like punk rock record I ever got was the subhumans mm -hmm. cradle to the grave, which has that like 13 minute song on it that I adore. Um, and then from there, I kind of went in mostly to sort of like uh discord record stuff. So my heroes were like Fugazi was like my ultimate uh, band growing up. Um, I kind of always shift, like I would always sort of, um, lean towards the the positive bands or the bands that have like social conscious to them like in in the big band world i would i was a huge am a huge clash fan um i love bands that are like political and emotional and and yep. um, i'm not i've never been like a sex drugs rock and roll kind of guy i've definitely been like you know fired up about change and injustice and and passion and all of that stuff and and then i'll say that there was a moment when i was 15 and like the biggest show ever came to town. It was the Zoo TV tour, the U2 tour. Um, and I was like a U2 fan, you know, because I listened to it with my, there's like one of the bands that my parents and I could both listen to because they were, sure. they were, they were still cool and, you know, exciting to me and my parents liked them as well. And um, so when that record came out and they came to town, I went to the show and I had floor tickets, which I think at the time were just the cheapest tickets there. And, and I sort of like snuck my way all the way up to the front 
and they had this like satellite stage where they would come out into the crowd and play on this little stage. And I got probably within, I've told the story a million times, but probably within like 15 feet. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I want to do this. Like I had been in yeah. bands and I had been in punk bands and I've been playing in backyards, but I had never really at that point thought of it any more than just like, oh, playing music with my friends and having fun. And it wasn't like, I never thought of it as, as a future at all. And there was sort of this, this epiphany at that moment, watching them and feeling whatever was happening in that stadium. Um, yeah. I was like, fuck, I want to, I want to do this. And yeah, again, been so fortunate to have a career where, where I've actually been able to tell Bono that story, which is a crazy, oh. it's been a crazy life, you know, like to think yes. that that was a moment that sort of made me want to do this and then allowed my life to turn into this somehow. And, I've been able, like I said, been able to hang out and meet and spend time with people that that are real heroes to me and are good people and, and have been awesome. But so I don't think there's yet yeah, to answer your question, there's not really one band or moment. There was sort of a bunch of things that happened. Um but I would say like as 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 like um guides in my life, it's it's always been mm -hmm. kind of the Fugazi uh community that sort of you know conscious, cool, nice, uh, respectful sort of stuff. Of course, of course. So I want to touch. So it's very important for me to touch on Sparta because again, Sparta was absolutely my band, my entry point, but kind of going back and bringing it back to uh, your time and at the drive-in, uh, your time and at the drive-in left a significant mark on the post-hardcore scene. And I want to know more about that experience initially and what do you believe made the band stand out? So it was, um, you know, I, I came in, I started the band as a front man. I was a front man in a band, like I was saying before at the drive-in. Um, I knew that, I knew that Cedric had something that nobody else in this town had. Um, he was, I, I went to school with him. I had known him for a long time. I'd seen him play a hundred shows with a hundred bands. Um, and I knew he loved the life, you know, and I just sort of started trying to pick people that would support that more than anything. Like who could do this? Who could you be in a van with forever? Who could you, you know, who's inspiring you and making you laugh and, and who you're going to have fun with because nobody at that point is thinking about money or publishing deals or, tour buses or, you know what I mean? We're just like trying to make music and have fun. And that's always kind of been the main thing is if it's not fun, then it's not worth it. Um, I, we were again, like coming from this community, there wasn't enough people to have like genre specific things, you know? So like when there was a show, <clears throat> there'd be a metal band, there'd be like a ska band, there'd be like a folk band. Like we just all played shows together. So it would get kind of really intermashed up and, sort of just became this kind of unique, like the bands that were coming out during that time, especially like without the internet, without uh, a ton of touring bands coming through, we were all kind of inventing it and making it up as we went along and sort of inspiring each other and, and nicking ideas from each other or sharing ideas or whatever. And I think that that gave us some pretty unique sounds coming out of here. 
Yeah. You know, like when you move to LA, it's like, oh, this is the band I fit in with. And then you all kind of hang out together. And then it sort of just gets very homogenous, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas here, that just, it couldn't, it, it physically couldn't happen. So um, I think that's like one of the, the great fortunate things about being from here at that time, um, that moment in history is that we got to build something that was unique. And, you know, when we went on tour in the early days, we were always too heavy for the light bands and too light for the heavy. Like we never fit in sure. anywhere, but we would play um, anytime, anywhere that we could. We were famous for, for if we had a day off and there's somebody canceled 300 miles away, we would drive 300 miles to that show to play to 20 people. We, wow. we would do anything to play. And it's kind of one of those things geographically, we're so isolated that when we left for tour, it took so far to get to the first city. We just didn't come back because sure. it's not like we could drive an hour and play a show and come home. It was like we had to drive seven to 10 hours. And then at that point, you might as well just keep going. So we just ended up touring all the time, um, which was great. It was great at that at that moment. And, and you know, people came and and went from the band and it ended up sort of having the what's now would be like the classic lineup. Um, and then it just like we doubled down and worked harder and we used to work jobs to save enough money that we could lose it on tour, come home, work jobs, save enough money, just repeat over and over and over again until we were self-sufficient. Uh, and then we just didn't have to come home anymore. And we didn't, we stayed out a lot. Well, I certainly read that. I mean, I think people were very familiar with the work ethic of that band. I mean, yeah. even for me coming from a different era of the scene in general, I was still familiar with that concept, but do you ever reflect specifically on at the drive-in being this progenitor post-hardcore band like a no. band that transcends no i just never think about it like that at all you know and, and also you you know when you when anybody looks at, at that band or those records or went to shows or whatever you're having sort of a, a, a snapshot of that moment you know sure uh whereas for us we're living this whole evolution and and all the relationships that are building and eroding constantly and and you know all the things that happen just between human beings so no I, I don't i think at this point i mean i just turned 47 that band ended when i was 24 so yeah most most of my life almost half my life now has been not in that band um and i think now i'm, I'm sort of at a at a good spot even with like a few years ago there was a lot of shit that happened with us um but I think I'm just good now. I think I'm just like, I'm really grateful for all of those things that allowed me to live the life that I've lived. I've had a completely spectacular life. I have, you know, obviously everybody has complaints, but I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I've gotten to make music um, and have adventures and see a bunch of places in the world and somehow, you know, still am alive. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. I don't really look at it other than that. It was, it was an awesome experience. And, you know, I think for me personally, it, it it's, it's cool that it lives in that era of my life. I wouldn't want sure. to, I wouldn't want to make it any different. I wouldn't change anything actually. Yeah. I totally understand. So transitioning to Sparta, Sparta and sleeper car, which is truly where, again, all of my iconography with regards to Jim Ward is in Sparta. Mm -hmm. So, Moving on to Sparta, how would you describe the musical evolution that took place coming from At The Drive-In to Sparta in that early 2000s era? Because just to reference again, Wiretap Scars was my entry point. 
So right. I'd love to hear more about that musical evolution that took place. So, you know, a few of the songs on Wiretap were, were I was writing at on that tour, that the last at the drive-in tour. Um, I'm more than anything like a, a riff writer. So to come in and sing and to really construct, I mean, I, I just, I definitely leans heavily on Cedric and at the drive-in. Obviously he wrote all the lyrics and the melodies, but he also has, he's a, he's a great musician and he's a great songwriter. And when we wrote together, which is, you know, most of the time I would have an, a, an idea and I would bring it to practice and somebody would have an idea and we just kind of mash everything up. But when that, when we split and all of a sudden you're sort of asked to be the, the front man, it's not a job that, and still to this day, again, I've, I've been doing Sparta a long time. I don't think I'm a hundred percent comfortable in that role. Like I'm still happiest when I'm a, like a sideman. I love that job. That's like my favorite job in the world is to play guitar and sing backup um, and not have the pressure of being the front man, even though this is what I now do for a living. But interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's just one of those things. Like my career evolved the way that it did and I'm grateful for it for sure. Um, but I, I'm never going to be like the, you know, I have enough confidence to to do this, and I and I think you know, for me, every record starting with Wiretap is a, is a lesson in songwriting, and that's what I really care about is is writing songs. That's my favorite part of music is creating sure. stuff. Um, then my second favorite thing is to record it, and then after that is touring. It's not my favorite thing um, because I think that for me to write songs, I tap into sort of the 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 dark places in me, the, um, the things that are hard to talk about, the things that, and even if it's just coming out musically or, or whatever, that's how I'm dealing with it. This is my therapy. Um, you know, on top of other therapy as well, but this is my early on <laughs> sure. in life. This is, this is like what was <laughs> helping me get by. Um, and so I, I think that it's always been a challenge for me to, to sort of play that live you know especially on this record like wiretap was a really difficult part of our life um especially my life and i said no to this sort of celebration reunion whatever you want to call it like this tour i said no to a lot um and then when we were doing the get up kids tour last year and they were doing an anniversary record um i just i just kept meeting people because wiretap was turning 20 and I just kept meeting sure. people at shows that were saying, oh, this record means this to me. This record means this to me. And I, it started to finally occur to me that this is not all about me, right? This is about the people who fell in love to this record, who discovered music to this record, who have raised their kids listening to this record. Like all the things that yes. have happened in 20 years, I <clears throat> I wasn't privy to that, right? So for me, it's just like, oh, I look at these songs and I'm like, holy cow, this is hard to sing. This is hard to to relive until I could see it from the other, from the, from the, what we say, the other side of the barricade on the other sure. side of the barricade, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I can go and people will be very joyful. And it's been an incredible experience to watch people. You know, when we play this record live, we play it start to finish. I don't say a word. We don't say anything. We just go and we play every single song and then wow. I talk and I want everybody to live in their memories. I don't want to distract anybody with, you know, banter or whatever. So I know I'm rambling here, but um, no, I, not at all. I think um, you know, 
it's been, it's been a great experience and it's super fun to go back to that. And it's given me a lot of joy that I didn't expect. Um, of course. And that will give me more confidence going forward. But um, yeah, and again, I know I'm just rambling at this point. So <laughs> no, I, that actually raises an interesting question. So to your point and using wiretap scars as an example, I remember, for example, getting my driver's license learning to drive, listening to that record, and then revisiting it, of course, authentically years and years beyond that. So I too have those memories, but I'm curious on the gym side of the barricade, on your mm -hmm. side of the barricade, what might be some tracks or a specific album that resonates the most with you? Because you mentioned Wiretap might not be it, but what is that one album you say, okay, this is it, this is most reflective of perhaps your sentiments? From my catalog? Yes. Um, or Sparta. Yep. Yeah, but I just mean anything I've ever played. So it's hard because every 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 record is sort of a again, it's like we toured Wiretap for like 18 months and a bunch of shit happened in my life. I lost a bunch of people um that I loved very much. So going into porcelain, when we made porcelain, that's just me grieving, basically. Um, like grieving a lot of things, grieving the end of of a band that I loved and friendships that were falling apart. And because we made wiretap really fast, we started the band, we made the record, we went on tour. And I think to us, it was like the only way we can get through this now is to just put our head down and work super hard. And we had a chip on our shoulder for sure. Like we weren't the ones that were the famous ones from the band, if, if you want. And I think there was that kind of drive to prove ourselves. Um, and so we just burnt, we just worked super, super hard. And I remember going in to make porcelain and yes, I'm writing songs and yes, I'm writing riffs and we're in Joshua tree at Rancho de la Luna, like exploring oh. all of these songs. Um, but I was never, I wasn't really letting myself grieve all these people that I had lost and all this stuff that I had lost. And so if you listen to that record, it's, Porcelain's super dark, you know, but it was very reflective of who I was at that moment. Um, coming into my own as a songwriter, being a little bit more confident, like singing wise, lyric wise, um, feeling like it was more authentic. And then at the end of that record, like at the end of that tour cycle, I basically had like a breakdown and because I just had never dealt with anything and mm -hmm. I would just go, 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 go. Um, and I don't want other people to have to worry about me. I don't want other people to have to pick up pieces or stress or anything. I keep all that stuff inside. This is just the way that I'm built. Um, and at the end of, of porcelain, I just kind of, I woke up in a hotel room in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and, and went to my tour manager's room and said, um, I need to get on an airplane right now. Like right now I'm, I'm totally done. Um, and so I think going into like i took a break after that for a bit and then we had a, a guitar change and we made threes and that was the first time that i kind of like pushed away all of the management saying it needs to be done by this time and you have to be on tour i started just started saying like fuck off i just want to i want to write these songs i want to write as many songs as i can and i want to explore all this stuff and, and i want to take the time and you know for the first time we had money to live we didn't have to be on tour um and so again like if you listen to threes that's very reflective of that moment there's there's like 
all of a sudden I start having hope and um, it's a little bit more of a, a joyful record, I think, you know, and then by the end of that tour, again, I was like, then I was actually just done with Sparta. I just didn't want to be around anybody in the band anymore. Um, and I tried to do it as respectfully as I could, which was just like, at the end of this tour, I'm going to go away for a while and do something else. And the whole, in those years, I had been writing these kind of country-ish songs. So I just decided to, you know, for once, be selfish, really. I didn't feel, and I'm sure everyone else thought I was being selfish, that the, the but for me, I didn't feel like I was. Um, I didn't feel like I was doing what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I was playing shows I wanted to play. I didn't feel like I was making music that I wanted to make anymore. Um, and so I just kind of split and everybody else lived in other cities. So no, nobody was here to bother me. I just, I've always been in El Paso. Um, and so I, I made the sleeper car record and then had just like one of the best years of my life, like making no money playing sometimes to two people. Sometimes, I mean, we did a Coldplay tour on that record, which was obviously we made money and played to a bunch of people, but the, the big, the big, like, um, experiences on that record were amazing and it was so fun and and beautiful to have these guys that i was playing with that could sing harmony like like just incredible harmony singers and incredible musicians and and it was just fun you know and there was no pressure because nobody cared like there was no i mean i remember literally having Sparta fans and at the driving fans coming to sleeper car shows and being like, this is awful. I hate this. And I'm like, that's, Oh, it's okay. You don't have to like it. Like it's not, this isn't meant for everybody. This is just what I want to do right now. And, and I don't want to be a one dimensional artist. I want to make whatever I want to make and, and who cares about the consequences. So my point is I think every record that I make um, and there's probably specific tracks on records that would, that would speak more. I mean, on porcelain, clearly death in the family is a song about, you know, what was happening in my family, um, which is people were dying. And, you know, I think the first song on West Texas, which is a sleeper car record, which is broken promise. It's just, it's just saying like, that was me saying I'm done with this for now. Like, you know, I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to do this instead. So I think every record is sort of, reflective of where I'm at at that moment. And then, yes. And I think the greatest thing about making records is the minute that I turn in the final master tapes, um, then I'm done, you know, from that point on, it's, it's your, it's your record. Like those are your memories that you're going to make. You're going to, you're going to have your own interpretation. I very rarely explain lyrics to people because I think you make up your own, you find you find in the lyrics what you need to find in the lyrics. And I don't want to go and, and alter that at all. It's not my job. My job is to make something and if people latch onto it, then I think it's like the best compliment in the world. I like your perspective on this. I mean, the way you articulate your sentiments about this is very much like a true artist. Um, you really, you know, you produce the work that's most authentic to you in the moment and your document. It's interesting the way you explain it because it's documenting the entirety. Your artistic journey is in, is documenting your life accordingly. Exactly. And you would think it'd be that way for a lot of people, but the way you're expressing it, I can see it now. Like I can actually, you know, see it in yeah. real time. That's fascinating. I think so, it's funny when, when, yeah. when like 
so one of my favorite songwriters is Billy Joel, has been my whole life. And I read um, I read an interview or I listened to an interview with him. And he, he was talking about like, oh, you know, when I wrote this one song, what I was trying to do was write a song like this. Like I liked this one song by this one band and I was trying to do my version of this. And it to me, it was like he was speaking Latin. Like I didn't understand how that's even possible. Like I don't understand how you don't write because it just didn't occur to me that people write songs just because they write songs. Like, so I write sure. songs because it needs to come out of me and it is totally reflective of my life. And I have no other way of doing it. Like I'm a terrible songwriter for hire. Like you can't, I can't write for other people. I can collaborate with people and that's really fun, but I couldn't straight up write songs that don't like I can write for other people. I can't write something that someone tells me to write. Do you know what I mean? Completely. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. It's reflective of memory and experience. I feel the exact right. same way. I can only yeah. reflect experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you touched on sleeper car, obviously, and, you know, people's reactions, you know, your fans reactions to that particular project. I want to know just more about that project in general, in your words, because it is such a departure from what people were used to, but it's something I can absolutely get on board with. Tell me more about it. So it actually, the whole kind of, like as a as a kid or not a kid but as I, I like this band the old 97s a lot and they were they basically were a country band that played the punk circuit and they played like the college circuit with all the indie rock bands and I got to see them a bunch when I was a kid and then we ended up playing shows and getting to be buddies with them as well um so when we were in and this is kind of the beginning of this stuff like when we were in on the on the very last at the drive-in tour of that era, we were in Australia for this tour called Big Day Out. And it's like a bunch of bands that tour together for like two weeks, basically. And you end up in hotels with bands you normally wouldn't play with or wouldn't be hanging out with. And I ended up, there was a, an up-and-coming band called Coldplay. And there was us, which was up-and-coming sort of heavier band. Um, and I ended up just getting to be really good friends with them on that tour. And the bass player guy... And I would just talk about country and he turned me on to all these, you know, I, I didn't know who Graham Parsons was at the time. And he turned me on to Graham Parsons, the Flying Burrito Brothers, all this sort of like uh, country rock stuff, which I didn't know because, again, I was like very punk rock except for the old 97. So I knew I liked country sure. from, you know, like everybody loves Johnny Cash, but I'm talking about the the sort of records that you in the bands that are not super famous that you're just seeing. Like, I didn't know that stuff existed. So he kind sure. of turned me on to this. Um, and I, you know, I started just sort of putting these songs on the side. So like the the first thing I ever wrote was uh, Fences Down on that record. And I wrote that on that. There, you can see footage of me playing that riff at a show in Japan, like the the sort of the, the lick on that on Fences Down. I'm just playing it in between songs. Like I'm just fiddling with the guitar and, and that pops out. And that became sort of the, the cornerstone of that record. And it took me like uh eight years to finish and i recorded that record like three wow. times like on three separate occasions like an entire record and then just wasn't like i i knew that when i i knew when i finished each recording that i wasn't that it wasn't good enough and it wasn't finished and i hadn't figured out exactly how to do what i was trying to do and it wasn't until the third time um and i started working with this guy matt schmitz that was playing drums and I would, I would literally go 
to like either somebody's house or like a home studio or, or wherever we could set up and record. And I would play him ideas and he would just play drums to it. These are not songs. These are just ideas. Um, and then I would come home and I would just cut them up on Pro Tools and I would figure out how the song was going to be. And then I would just add little bits over time. So this was all taken. I mean, I was doing, I was doing vocals on that record. At one point I was doing them in, in hotel rooms on the threes tour where I would just, I would sit underneath the table in the hotel room and put the blankets on top and just sit underneath wow. with a microphone and sing because I didn't want to wake anybody up or bother anybody in the next room. Um, and a lot of those vocal tracks are from that, that tour, just like experimenting and learning and, and having fun basically. And, and not having any, I just didn't have anybody around me to say no. And it just felt good. Mm -hmm. And there was no rules yeah. and there was no, you know, every band has a lot of set rules, whether they admit it or not. And it's not even sure. always verbalized. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just like, mm -hmm. well, you know, we can't play that because so-and-so is going to hate whatever, you know, like you just, it's just the way it is. And the for the first time, I didn't have any of that. Um, and I think it kind of changed me. I think it changed me for the better, honestly. Like I've never gone back to being in a, in a full band ever since that record. Like I've never made a record where I wasn't in, in control of what I was doing and, and not following somebody else's rules. So since 2008, um, 2009, like it's basically been like, I, I know what I want to do. Um, and that doesn't mean I, I don't love collaborating and getting opinions and whatever, but I just not into rules. Like I, I do not play in a band to have somebody else's rules imposed on me. It just doesn't, it's, it's not cool. So I don't. And I totally get that. that for sure. But tell me, you know, it's all right. And what, what might be your concentration then, uh, you know, post 2008, 2009 up until now, because I totally empathize with that notion of, you know, especially when you're making art, why would you want to be surrounded by any, any band politics, any particular structures that are in place? You want to be free to make the purest, you know, form of art that you possibly can. I mean, yeah. that's a reductionist way of me putting it, but it's true. Yeah. So that being said, what has been your concentration since then? Um, it's honestly like my, the number one thing uh, for any of this stuff at the end of the day for me is mental health. Like that's the one, okay. that's the one thing that is um, the most important. And so yeah. part of that is like, don't put yourself in situations that are going to deteriorate your mental health. Don't do things to yourself that are going to deteriorate your mental health. Um, there's only so much I can control about physically aging and deteriorating as every human does. Sure. Um, but I can put a lot of control into being as healthy as I can, um, especially mentally. And for me, that's a huge challenge. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not an incredibly stable person. I never have been. Um, I'm not incredibly unstable either. It's just, I have to put a lot of work into not, um, you know, like I, I got in an argument one time with somebody that I was in a band with and he was saying, you're basically, it was like, you're fucking crazy. And we were having an argument about something like some band related thing. And of I course. remember saying, you, you know, you don't get the good crazy without the bad crazy. Like you don't get the guy who writes the songs and the lyrics and falls like fuck puts it all out on stage. 
you don't get that guy without the guy who also is like self-harming, trying to destroy himself, trying to destroy, like all of that is like one thing. Um, but I think when I sort of verbalize that for the first time, I was like, okay, yeah, this is not a good way to live, right? Like this is not a healthy way to live. I don't want to be quote unquote crazy at all. Um, but I still want to make art and I want to be authentic and I don't want to be on medicine and I don't want to like be numb. I want to, I want to live and feel these things and I want to express these things. So my concentration from probably like 2009, um, was one just like spend more time at home. Like I, I owned a house that I didn't even see for years. It felt like I would, and I'm married, you know what I mean? Like I would come home to a wife and a house and a family that was like foreign to me almost. Um, and I just decided that's just not the way I wanted to live. So I realized that I could do other things. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm smart enough to do other things as well. I don't have to put all my ego into being a musician. Like it doesn't have to be, I don't have to be a successful musician in order to feel good about myself. I can just be a musician. And of I think when all of that changed, then it really changed the way that I worked. So no longer did I want to, um, I don't need the biggest tour. We don't need to make the most money. It doesn't have to be the highest charting song I've ever written. Like none of that shit is important. Um, and I found like way more happiness basically because of that. So I, I try to write music when I want to. Um, and I try to do shows when I, when I want to, obviously some of that stuff you have to plan and, and there's like some give and take with it. I mean, I can't just wake up one morning and be like, today I want to play in London. Like, I can't do that. Obviously I have to make a commitment and follow through with it. And, and that sure. part's okay. You know, as long as I don't book past like a certain point, like I know we're going to Australia in May, but I have nothing after November. So December, okay. January, February, March, April, like I'm not touring. So, and I'm definitely like beginning, like I want to make a soft, quiet record. That's all I want to do right now. So that's, that's what I'll put my concentration on now, because I know that's where my, my head needs to go. Like it's been a loud year. Um, and after a loud year, I just need to make something quiet and beautiful and sweet and, you know, somehow figure out how to pay my mortgage at the same time. But that's, that's secondary, right? Completely. Well, I resonate with a lot of the, the things you said previously, especially with, you know, you don't necessarily get you know, all the profound art without a little bit of craziness. I think that's a very fair statement to have made. Again, I'm sure you've evolved a lot, you know, past that point in your life, but it's true. A lot of people don't accept the reality of, I think, you know, having to exert a lot of creative energy, you know, it's like your head is living in another dimension and your body mm -hmm. is here on earth with everyone else. So I understand that point. Thank you for articulating that. Um, Tell me about some of your, your business concentrations as well, because you mentioned earlier that you're involved in some other endeavors. Um, I'd like to know more about those. So it just kind of started out with, um, I knew I didn't want to tour, so I knew I needed to make money. And, and at that point, I was just like, well, I've spent basically my entire life in bars, like playing music sure. in bars. Um, and a friend of mine at the time was like a, a bar manager and ready to sort of break out on his own. And, and so we opened a bar together. And my dad always says that I'm cursed with first time success. So like my first band was very successful. My first bar was very successful. And then you sort of expect that everything you do is going to be successful. And sure. it, and it's not like it's fucking hard. 
Um, so we did that for a minute and then we just started opening other places. We have my, currently like my wife and I have a restaurant in El Paso that, uh, like a, a bar restaurant. Um, and we've had like studios, we've had venues, like these things all kind of go in, in cycles. And I'm not, I'm not the sort of person that is like, I'm going to build a business and then sell it for profit. Like, that's just not the way my brain works. My brain works very much. Like I want to create something with my partner who I'm also married to. I want to create it. And then I want to see what happens with it. Like a record. Like I want to do an 18 month tour cycle on this bar and see where, see how it goes. And mm -hmm. I've had to adjust that somewhat because it's also just not very realistic, like in the business world. Um, sure. But I still like we we cycle through stuff a lot in our restaurant. Like we change things a lot. We moved locations last year. Um, we've never we always put sort of our, our staff well above profit. Like we don't we don't worry about like we're not there to make money, basically, because it just it needs to be like a, a cool spot in the community that is expressive of what we do, where you can get plant based food. You can also get ethically raised meat. Um, you can have a drink, like you're not going to get judged. Everybody's welcome. We have like the wildest, um, fan base from like little kids to, to great grandmas that hang out there. And I love it. It's not, it's not like a one, it's not a one trick pony. And I think that that's sort of like the most rewarding part of it. And it gives us the freedom to, to do what we want to do to, you know, we, we went to the Foo Fighters last night and stayed up way too late and didn't go to work this morning. Cause we don't have to, if we don't want to. And, Obviously there's consequences, but we're not, we're not going to get fired, you know? Um. <laughs> well, I have a lot of respect for the way that you've involved yourself in the community. I mean, that's something that's always been special to me in the sense I've wanted to do that, but it's not always, you know, it, it's complicated as you know, I mean, you spent so yeah. much of your life on the road, but no, I have a lot of respect for you and that you've invested in El Paso and done these things. So that's super cool. Um, I love the idea of... Yeah of playing festivals around the world and getting paid a bunch of money and bringing it home. Like I love, I That's love excellent. doing it. Like I don't need to live in LA or I don't need to live. I mean, I need to live, live here. This is the only place I want to live. Um, but I love that I have a job that I can go out and make money and have fun and entertain people and make connections and memories. And, and, you know, it's one of the things on this tour, I was going to say earlier, as we're playing wiretap, like, I can look out and watch people literally cry during the show yeah. because they're just overwhelmed with their emotions and their memories and their, and to be part of that is, is so humbling. And so like, I'm so grateful for it. And at the same time, like I get to make a living and then I get to come home and, and invest it back in my community. Um, which is, which is everything. This community is everything to me. Of course. So, Transitioning from that, Jim, you know, how, what might be something outside of music that people don't necessarily know about you? Because I feel, I feel very strong. There's a personal element to this conversation. So what is yeah. something, perhaps an anecdote that people don't necessarily know about you that you would like to convey? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, I think I'm so, uh, I'm so transparent, like to a fault, almost like, especially with the mm -hmm. age of Instagram, like I have to be very careful that I don't just put every thought and <laughs> everything in the world that I have. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, uh, God, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Um, there's a lot of things that I wish I was that I don't really ever talk about. Like, I wish I was better at design. I wish I was like, I wish I gave a shit 
what clothes I put on in the morning. Like, you know what I mean? But I don't. And I, sure. but I wish I did. Like, I wish I was better at that stuff. And I wish that I, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where you, you sort of, you concentrate and you work on the big stuff, um, you know, and like you try and be as healthy as you can or whatever. Um, but then there's a lot of little things that just kind of get like, I wish I rode my fucking bike. I never ride my bike. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like there's just stupid things like I that. Do. Um, I think, I don't, I don't think there's really much about me that people don't know. I think sometimes people are surprised that I play golf. That's like the one that is thing a little surprising to me. Yeah. I just don't imagine it in my head. Right. Like, as you tell me, so it's a good bucket hat and a day out on the course. Like that's my, that's my jam. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's one of those things. And it's, it's just like, so I spend so much time in dressing rooms and, you know, even here we're at the restaurant or whatever, um, that just to go have four hours and it's ridiculous, like to spend resources on a golf course. I get it. But for me, it's, it's, it's usually with like a, a family member or a friend and it's just hanging out and it's like the least competitive sport for me because you're only winning or losing against yourself for the most part. Like I don't, I never play to keep score with other people. I just see if I can do as well as I can without giving that much of a shit. So I think for me, it's very much like a Zen, a Zen thing. Like I don't get mad. That's the thing is like sure. I, I see other people on the golf course that are like breaking clubs and losing their minds. And I'm like, why are you even doing this? Like this is, this should be n not just fun, but it should be relaxing and like, it's a ridiculous privilege that we get to go out and hit a ball. And yeah, like I, I get, I get how lucky I am in that sense. Um, but yeah, that's the one. And I love, um, you know, I, I love our college basketball team, which somehow surprises people that I like sports. Cause I feel like yeah. when I was a kid, it was like the punks <laughs> versus the jocks. And of course and like, no, that was, it's reoccurring. Yeah. I'm like, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty into college basketball and, it's something that my wife got me into. She went to the university here and she loves college basketball. And so during basketball season, I don't really tour. So we go to the games and I hang out with her and try and follow what's going on. And, um, but yeah, that's, I, I would say those are the things that kind of surprise people when they hear them. I think people think I'm just this like in, in the studio writing earnest songs yeah. all day. <laughs> they envision yeah. you as the artist kind of this, yeah, this yeah. non-human entity you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> um which is actually something i want to touch on briefly but before i get to that i want to get your thoughts kind of on the the current state of the scene you know this could be for music in general not just any music that's alternative yeah. etc but i want to know what bands you're listening to personally right now so um as disappointing as it might be to some people like i'm very into the olivia rodrigo record i think she's spectacular um interesting i'm just so blown away with her the maturity of her writing at her age and professionalism and and like that's a lot of shit to carry and she just seems like she's doing a really good job of it um i really like you know like i've been into idols the last couple of years and and mm -hmm. turnstile i really like um, sure. We just played a festival with them and they're very nice guys, which is nice to see. Um, you know, I like, I like, I, I sort of like where kind of hardcore is, is currently as much as I, I'm, I'm sort of getting turned on to these things by being back on the road. I tend to be pretty isolated when I'm not on the road. So sure. um, I don't listen to a ton of music. 
my wife gave me uh, like a vinyl subscription for my birthday last year. So every month I get a new record and I just make sure like you can pick which record and, and all I do is make sure that I don't already own it. And I try to do something that I've never listened to before. So I've gotten like some, some hip hop stuff and some country stuff and some things that I wouldn't normally, you know, like I'm not trying to just get records that I love, but the new edition, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to like look, look at other things. So I just, I just picked out, there's like a bonus if you sign up for a year where you get eight records. So I just picked like eight random records that are coming and I'll just sit down and listen to them and um, we'll, we'll see if I like them or not, but either way, it's still a good experience, you know? It definitely sounds like it. One thing I would yeah. say about what I'm seeing currently that is kind of, I don't know if I like it or not, but sort of these artists are now, the, 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 bear, the gap between um success and hobby is getting so wide that i feel like um all the oxygen is getting sucked up with with uh mega tours and mega festivals and for me i've always lived in that middle space between you know we're like blue collar band so we 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 work and we make money but we're not rich and we're not playing to 20,000 people a night or whatever but now these shows are getting to like 80,000 people a night. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit worried, but then I also think that this is just part of a cycle and, and this will create some really great underground bands that are fighting for that oxygen. And then we'll get some really great music out of it. So I was kind of the last generation of bands that sold records, like actual records, like they yeah. all died in like 2001, 2002 when streaming just became what it is now or it was beginning to become what it is now. So I think at the time it, it felt like a good thing that it, that we were getting rid of these sort of giant paychecks with shitty bands that were making a lot of money. And so they, they don't have to really work hard at the art. They're just getting paid. And um, it felt like it was a good thing to for music. And I think we did get some really good years out of that. But I also think like guitar rock died for quite a while and now I feel like sure. it's coming back. So that's, that's fun for me as a, as a guitar fan. Yeah. Same. And you've seen the cycles as you've articulated, yeah. and this is happening yeah. in various creative industries, music, fashion. I mean, you're seeing that dichotomy between these huge entities, uh, yeah. however you wish to describe it. And then of course, you know, this indie scene opening up again, I wouldn't know exactly how to articulate it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I think that's it. And, and yeah. you know, they say nature abhors a vacuum, right? So all this is doing yeah. is creating a big vacuum and it's going to get filled. And I just hope it gets filled with, you know, some quality and heartfelt, you know, music and art and fashion and literature. And, and I think it will, because I think that's I just think it what, will. Yeah. So I kind of look forward to that and just try to be a little more, um, you know, a little less cat videos on Instagram, a little more like new music, trying to find new music and less just hilarious cat videos. I'm my, a my, hilarious my cat Instagram videos. algorithm is all uh, guitars and cats. It's pretty That's sick. Or guitars <laughs> or cats playing guitars, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you luck out. Jim, I have a few more questions for you before we wrap up. I want to know if you had to choose one hardcore band right now, because you mentioned hardcore specifically. Yeah, are, because there's such a renaissance happening. I think with hardcore, is there one hardcore band you're listening to? Um, so we just did a couple of shows with Koyo. Are you familiar with them? I'm not. Tell me. It's. Uh, I just want to make sure I have the name right because 
of course. I'm famous for also getting things like that wrong. <laughs> um, but, but they were doing the Thursday tour, so we got to play shows with them, and they were so good. And they're from Long Island. All right. Yeah. Koya. Um, and they just put out their first, they just, their debut record just came out really good, smart, hardcore. And I, I'm not a, I'm like a, not a super deep hardcore fan. Like I said, I'm more like a discord mm -hmm. sort of guy back in the day, but, um, yeah, I like that. And I like kind of like the, you know, I like turnstile. I like the interesting stuff that they're doing, which not yeah. just straight. It's, there's like, you know, a bunch of synthesizers and percussion and um, cool breakdowns. And I like that. I think it's interesting. So I think uh, there's I a band called Gel as well that, that my wife actually turned me on to, which she has great taste and knows way more about music than I do. But um, she makes all the playlists for our restaurant and people always give me the credit because I'm a musician. So <laughs> Of course. Yeah. They're like, oh, Jim. I'm like, That's I don't wild. have anything to do yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it it's a good partnership. Like the same, yeah. She's always like, "You listen to the same shit all the time." I'm like, "I know." I'm like, mid '90s indie rock as of like my. That's I'm just stuck in a bubble sometimes. Fair enough. I do the same thing. Jim, I have an interesting question for you. Aside from music, what are you, what are your thoughts on extraterrestrials and the current state of affairs in that particular world? You can get as abstract as you wish, or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it'd be. I think it's incredibly arrogant to think that we're the only things in the universe. Um, sure. I think math mathematically it makes sense. Um, I think the, you know, I want to believe for sure. I don't have any reason not to believe, but I also don't have any proof. You know what I mean? Like I haven't had any experience that would lead me to, to be like, Oh, absolutely. But I, sure. I mean, I can't imagine that, that it's, we're the only ones. And now, like, of sort course. of the video footage from the the fighter pilots that are, like, show, like okay, none of that shit makes sense, right? Like, physics-wise. So, yeah, I mean, I want to believe, for sure. So, I guess I do believe. I just haven't, Fair you enough. know, I haven't seen, haven't seen anything, but. <laughs> I, I mean, I would love to if it's not scary as fuck, but I'm sure, I'm sure it would be the scariest fucking thing on Earth. Yeah, it'd be a, a, an existential crisis for a lot of people. But I'm in the same boat as you. I was curious to hear your thoughts, certainly from an artistic perspective. So what's next for Jim Ward? Are there any upcoming projects, collaborations, or tours we should look forward to, music uh, or otherwise? So we have like two more two more legs on this wiretap tour. So we have Canada that, that starts in November, like November 2nd. And then we have Australia that starts May 16th in uh, Brisbane and in between that pretty sure I'll just make a record and then I'll just put it out at some point. So <laughs> I was just going to keep making records. I think um, I am kind of toying with the idea of how to do that. Um, Cause I'm, I'm sort of interested in, in doing sort of like a, like a shared experience of the, of the process uh, mostly because people always have questions and want to know how, how you got from point A to point B. And I think it'd be of fun. Course. And I have like a Patreon that I'm, I'm pretty awful about. People are very kind and I, I don't feel like I've done a good job at rewarding their kindness. So I think I'll try and dig into that and do a little bit better, um, a little bit better job. But so I'm just kind of toying with the idea of how that, how that works. Um, 
like on the business end of things, we have a, a couple of projects that are like very, very near launching that I can't wait mm -hmm. to tell people about, um, which is going to be, I think, super cool. I hope it's been like a very, very long process, um, but we're almost there. Um, other than that, yeah, just just uh, trying to have fun and stay stay alive. <laughs> I understood that very well, actually. Well, Jim, I just want to say before we wrap up, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, whether you realize it or not, I mean, I'm sure you do. Your work is incredibly profound, you know, spanning decades. And so it was a pleasure for me to talk to you. So I appreciate this and this opportunity. Well, thank you. Thank you. Of course. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. 100%. Well, Jim, have a great rest of your day, brother. And uh, thank you so much again, man. Likewise. Take care. See you, Jim.